I know that there are, you know, in the in the mm-hmm. publishing industry, they they say that you should never write a prologue. But <laughs> I feel mm-hmm. like it's like a little glimpse into the um, soul of uh, the theme. You know, it's a it's a thematic mostly because what it what happens actually does happen, but it it's what what happens with Tessa after she's been hit and in her perspective. So um, I just wanted to, um, I wanted her point of view, really, in the story at some point. And, mm-hmm. of course, we get we get an idea of who she is and, and what she, um, <clears throat> excuse me, what she is like throughout the, the real, the forward part of the story. But um, I just wanted her point of view there and then, um, mm-hmm. and then again, you know, at the end, we get her point of view in that. Um, epilogue. So, um, but the second, and it's I put a, another sort of prologue um, because I had two prologues. Um, that one uh, came to me afterward. I really wanted to um, ground the reader in the fact that we were going to take some trips into magical realism at times, and mm-hmm. um, and because of uh, McKenzie's need to escape emotionally. Um, so I wanted to set the reader with that kind of theme as well, that there is a, there will be points in the story that we will be escaping into some flights of fancy and uh, magical realism. So that's what that second one was. And I wanted it to be more like a, sort of like a chorus 
um, have a chorus mm-hmm. effect yeah. where there's there's a did you did you sense that part of it? Yes. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed I, I writing really, that because I love reading. Um, oh, thank you. I I loved writing it because I um, when I was a kid I was. Uh, in, you know, like every kid in a, a high school play, or at least, you know, a lot of kids I knew are were in high school plays, and we um, studied Greek tragedies, if you can believe that, at our, my early mm-hmm. age of like 14 years old, which was awesome. You know, so we got that sense of um, a uh, a Greek chorus with that, the, uh, uh, I believe it's the... the um, uh, someone says, um, your friends do not define you, um, mm-hmm. you know, and so, and it's like this, this, it's, it's repeated a couple of times, I think. And, uh, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, I just wanted that so much. I was really playing with this story. I, I, I just kind of threw it against the wall. I just wanted to do everything I could possibly do and have, you know, have it hopefully, you know, work. Um, and thank God I have editors to say, no, this isn't working <laughs> or, or this works great, you know, one or the other. So, um, so yeah, that's what those two um, prologues were about. You know, I'm, I'm looking at it because I have the book in front of me. I keep the book in front of me. And I said, when you wrote, you, had, you sold an effing minor and a minor key. And I was a music major in college, and I'm saying, <laughs> okay, which minor key did we pick? I, I, I never liked playing in the minor keys. I like the major ones. What can I say? But yeah. you know, in, any minor key is, is that it's just any minor key is like sad. It gives you like a sad yeah. tone. So I said, well, that makes sense. So tell us about Tessa and Mackenzie's relationship before the accident, and why I got the feeling that Mackenzie was more of a mother. Than, than their own mother. She got she got yeah, into doing a lot of stuff. Yes, she does. She's um and and the story opens with um the fact that their mom and their dad are separated and have been for about six months and um and so she's having to carry all of the weight. The mother is having to carry all 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 of the weight of you know taking care of the house and going to work and uh, taking care of children and cooking for them and doing the cleaning and all the stuff that we do, doing the landscaping, everything that you can possibly um, think that we do in our normal lives. She's having to do everything now, now that um, Ben has uh, left. And um, so, so she's, you know, Mackenzie's, a teenager she's you know capable of doing the cleaning and doing some chores more than what she would normally do which would be normally be take care of your room mm-hmm. clean your room you know put your bike away that sort of thing but now she's um taking more of a role in taking care of not just helping around the house and and making food for them for the kids for both um she and Tessa but also basically taking care of Tessa and helping her with her homework and, and making sure that she gets baths and brushes her teeth at night, you know, before she goes mm-hmm. to bed and, and getting her, you know, taking care of her, um, which she doesn't, she loves her sister, but she doesn't want to have to be burdened by her all the time. Um, and being a, the younger sister, 
I had a real good glimpse of how that looks mm-hmm. from the younger sister's perspective. Um, it's, you know, you know that nobody wants you around, um, but yet you want to be with them. And so Tessa is like loving the fact that she has to be with, you know, with Mackenzie um, all the time and that she, you know, she's, she's her little tag along now. And, uh, but, but um, Mac being a teenager, there's um, nine years difference in their age, Mac being a teenager and Tessa being seven years old, you know, mm. she doesn't want to have to have a, a little kid in tow all the time. So it's it's like burdening her, and, and you know, around her friends, and she can't do what she would normally do or talk about what she would normally talk about with her girlfriends at that age. I, you know, it's funny because my sister was a year younger than me. Never mind how long, whatever. But my brother was much younger than me, and my mother did the same thing. <laughs> She she said, he's your problem. I go, no, but you had him. He's your problem. You have to help him with his homework. You have to do this. You have to do that. I go, like, why me? And, yeah, that's the, I know how that feels. Yeah. As a, as a, as a matter of fact, he would, he would come out and say, you don't need to go out on a date. You have to take care of me instead. Mom and Dad went out. I'm not, you're not going anywhere till this day. So, you know, it's just so lopsided what we go through as I know. kids. My, my sister had to take care of me at times, you know, and she's two and a half years older than I am, and she hated it. I mean, uh, there were times I, I could tell you stories, but, um, but you know, but then also I was the one that helped with my sister, always had her face in a book, always. So she was just, mm-hmm. she let things kind of go, but she was always burdened with me, you know, taking me outside to play and do stuff like that. Um, but mom had me helping with the cleaning and stuff like that. And I used to, uh, I remember having to go in and clean my sister's bedroom for her because she uh-huh. was reading, you know. And so I was the cleaning person. <laughs> and my sister was like, she got everybody out of the house. And But my sister also would fix us um, breakfast and toast and stuff like that when my mom was, you know, like not in the mood to do it. She would just say, go, you know, go fix breakfast for you guys. You know what I mean? So my sister did that sort of thing. No, I understand what you're saying, but I got even because my sister was a neat freak and I was just, I had the book in my face. So I was, yeah. we had a room that was like really small. I mean, very small, as big as my my pinky. And I was, she would say we have to clean the room. So I'd sit on my bed and I would instruct her as to where to put everything. So by the time she got done, she had to clean. She never realized what I did. I said, "This is so so brilliant." But tell us oh, about her parents and why they separated. I can't. <laughs> that's part of the. Uh, that's part of the. Uh, that would be a spoiler. Um, okay. There's definitely a family secret for sure. Um, And then, uh, yeah. So I I can't really tell uh, too much about that. But um, and that is exposed, of course, closer to the end of the story. Um, And you know, through the whole uh, gut of the story, um, when she ends up in juvenile detention. um, Mm. But yeah, everything kind of. spills but overflows into this big mess of um sadness and uh you know it's it's pretty it's you know it, it, people want to know um I've I've been asked this before and it's funny because mm-hmm. um again I my reading and my study in 
for plays first and foremost were like like I said Greek tragedies and also Shakespeare and um, uh, mm-hmm. George Bernard Shaw which was really he was funny but um, the others were you know not necessarily funny although you know of course Shakespeare had some very great comedies um, but the Greek tragedies really stuck with me I really enjoyed the the because what you know there there's always that tragic ending to of course greek tra- mm-hmm. tragedies but then if you, as you study further you can see oh well tragedies can end out up better i mean it could be a tragic story until a certain point when some when the main character actually gets the problem and fixes it, you know, so there's this character arc with Greek tragedies. It's just a downward spiral into um, sadness and, and death. Usually it usually ended in death somewhere, but, um, but people have asked me why I write stories that are not like happily ever after stories or the, mm-hmm. or very light stories. Why not light stories? Why not, you know, like the Hallmark people want me to write Hallmark stories all the time. And I, it's just not one in me and two, it doesn't interest me. I don't watch those movies and uh, nor mm-hmm. do I read those books. So there is no way that I'm going to be reading or writing, excuse me, a, a Hallmark story for, for a couple of reasons, because, you know what? That's not how life is. Life isn't a bowl of sugar, and it it ends up sad and depressing sometimes. But it's the character that either gets it or doesn't get it. And in my case, all of my characters tend to get what is happening, and there is hope and inspiration at the end of my books. I'm not saying that there's always a happily ever after ending, but there's always a sense of hope, um, redemption and inspiration at some level. Well, I don't write happily ever after either. That's why this this book really got me. I write from the oh, point good. of view of the dead body behind the gravestone that did something wrong that deserves to be dead and tells their story. So, yes. Yeah. So Tessa has this accident, and she's a daredevil. So there are two witnesses from Roy's where the accident happened. Why didn't they want to talk to the sheriff and answer questions? Everybody was kind of closed-mouthed about this. Okay, that's such a great question, Fran. I love that question. And, and and this goes to the heart of, and this, of course, is one of my Friday Harbor novels. This goes to the heart of the small town um, thinking mm-hmm. um, and, and also community. Community is very big in this story, and um, I hope that comes through. The community yeah. is very big because... Um, and and the one the one with the dog is she's a tourist and she's just being uh, bothered by her dog and she really doesn't want to talk too much to you know she's like come on I mean I'm not I'm a tourist you know I don't you know I saw this and that's what I'm telling you and in but her dog is bothering her and bothering her so she wants to just go so that's her and you see a lot of um, people that come to the island with their animals and they are you know basically in a hurry to get their dog, you know, pottied and then do their thing and and enjoy the town and and sightseeing and eating and all the things that tourists do here. Um, The other two work at Roy's. Um, There's a couple that work at Roy's and they didn't really want to talk to the uh, deputy because everybody knows Mac. Everybody knows Tessa. So everybody knew Mm. these girls and so they didn't really want to 
blame anybody or say anything out of line that would, you know, make it sound like it was anyone's fault. So they were very um, closed mouths, mouthed about um, mm. about what they saw, and um, and that's why that goes to the heart of community. And um, I really wanted to get that sense of of uh, community building in Friday Harbor, um, which is an amazing place. Um, you know, I put I pit it against things that haven't happened. Um, and things that could happen if, you know, so, um, but these stories that I've uh, developed in this town, and I think this is either the, I can't remember if it's the fifth or sixth Friday Harbor novel, but I love writing about this place for no other reason than it's um, for two reasons, really, two major reasons, Mm -hmm. the community and the setting. It's spectacularly beautiful here. Mm. Now you're making me jealous because it's beautiful there. <laughs> now, I, li- I live in a I live in a very pretty area, but it's it's um, not really rural. It's not really urban. It's very quiet. Very quiet. Mm. Nice. And people people walk on the street and nobody says anything. It's very sad. <laughs> and they're kind of snobby, but that's okay. It doesn't really matter oh. anymore. They're oh, it's a snobby, real loving community here. Real loving community here. and. And it's, you know, it's a small island. You, no one can get here unless they either fly in a smaller nice. plane or and, and Learjets to come and land at our airport. It's a tiny little airport. I was, like, flabbergasted when we first flew in. I was like, what? This isn't an airport. But, but oh, that God. was a long time ago. It's tiny. It's a tiny little airport. But um, also the ferry. So there's no bridge from the mainland to our island. And it's a tiny little oh, island. Nice. Um it's like 25 miles from tip to toe and about 15 miles or so um east to west so it's it's really small and it's and there's only about 8000 people here full time um and it's just gorgeous i mean it's heavily wooded where we are where we live on, mm. on 5 acres and so it's beautiful and it's wooded, you know, so we've got this big bank of woods that runs along the street. So we don't see a lot of um, cars. And uh, again, everything's like a country road here. So it's really beautiful. I love it here. That's not fair. No, I, <laughs> I live in a small co- a small community. I grew up in the South Bronx. You don't want to grow up where oh, I grew yeah. up. I did. Yeah. I grew up in the South Bronx, lived in the Bronx. And when my mother passed away from Alzheimer's, we moved up here to Westchester, which is really nice. It's just different. The only thing is that, that I find that it's because maybe it's my personality sometimes. Um, I walk into a store, and I always say hi to everybody, and I'm so glad you're here. And just to make people smile, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's horrible. I walked into um, the deli the other day, and I said to the guy, thank you to tell Chef Maria thank that I'm here. Thank you very much for making what I can have. <laughs> I mean, no, nobody smiles anymore. Like, look at them. What can, what can I say? So now we have to somebody that I was disappointed in, Gemma. Gemma, why didn't she come to her aid? Poor, poor Mac gets, she's devastated. She knows her sister's dead, and they blame her for the death of her sister. And she gets put into juvie, and her mother doesn't even defend her. I want to smack her in the head. So how come her best friend turned on her? That was not very nice. Well, there were the drugs. The drugs were the big thing. Um, yeah, it was that's the, it, yeah. 
so what she had done was she had inadvertently taken a batch. And remember, it was the parents' drugs, right? It was the pot of the parents. So she went in and grabbed a bag of pot, but it was opiate-laced. And that is illegal um, That because you can't. You know, it, it, anyway, it's it's illegal. It certainly is illegal in Washington. Um, marijuana isn't illegal in Washington anymore. The use of marijuana isn't illegal in Washington. However, the um, you cannot have. Um, it used to be called sensamian down in this. I'm from Phoenix, and it used to be called sensamian pot, um, where it was dipped in uh, an opiate, and you know, you're just like so stoned you could barely move well um you can't have opiate opiates are illegal you know nationwide i'm pretty sure um and so uh you know it's just uh she grabbed the wrong bag so when the police the deputies found the bag of pot in in her backpack which you know gimma had put there um it was the opiate laced pot and so they mm. uh that was that was um enforceable and she got um she was only 16 or so when she uh, when this all happened so she had 18 months that she got sent to juvenile detention for because of that opiate so um that's how that happened so of course Gemma's not going to want to say it was mine because it would be then you get get to go to juvenile detention and also it was the parents so the parents are being very close mouth about it um they don't want to be in trouble either because that would also be uh i would think a cps type of violation a child yeah uh, children protection yeah child protection services uh violation so um and because because it's not legal for people under 18 to smoke pot or to use marijuana but um but it's kind of like before uh, marijuana became legal it was kind of like you're not going to throw a kid in jail for drinking a beer when they're under age right because they just won't they won't they you could enforce an adult if they bought beer for a minor, you know, that is enforceable. It's also, you know, finable, but, um, but not, uh, they're not going to, you know, throw a kid in jail because they were using beer or wine or even, you know, whiskey for that matter. So, um, so I had to, so I went, when I, when I, I wanted to develop this and I knew what the story was and I knew what was going on and Mm -hmm. I had all these scenes in my head. So I had to go to the, um, uh, the courthouse and talked to uh, one of the assistant prosecuting attorneys. Her name is Teresa Barnett, and um, she was fabulous. And I said, is this something that you'll get thrown in jail for or juvenile detention? She said, no, and that was when it was just the pot. And she explained the the reasoning, you know, and equated it like I just mm-hmm. did about the alcohol and, and minors' use of alcohol. So um, I said, what if it's got an opiate if, what if it's laced in an opiate? She goes, bingo. <laughs> she was like, that would be that would be uh, chargeable. Uh, that would be a chargeable offense, and that would probably lead to juvenile detention because of the opiate. Now, and there were the, was, you know. I don't think Mac was ahead. happy about that, though. I don't think Mac was happy no. about that. 
I think she was hoping no. you would come up with a different different charge that she didn't have to go to go to juvie. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah, yeah, but we have to we have to throw as many problems yeah. at our main character as possible, and then at the end get them out of all the trouble, right? So, um, or at least that's Hopefully. the hope. Um, that's a, the you know, of course, we fall back on the tragedies, and that doesn't happen necessarily. I mean, if anybody's read Kemu, um Albert Camus, um, there's just, he just uh, decides he's not going to do that sometimes. He, he's very tragic in his, uh, well, he's dead now, but <laughs> but in his mm-hmm. stories, he's, it, there are a lot of tragedies. All the books I'm getting are very sad, seriously. And everybody's writing in timelines and prologues, and like, expect me to read all this. No, seriously, I get it all. Is this sometimes yeah. there's some some there's one or two books that I've read recently. You know, root canal was better than the book. So what can I tell you? It's so sad. <laughs> oh, I, and, I, and I have to read so them. Like I have to read them, and I go like, oh my god! I just got three more, and I go like, oh my god! Why, why me? Yeah. Um, right. And I don't know. I'm getting them. So what caused Tessa to be in the way of the car? And tell us about the bike ride. I mean, kids kids have to be really careful. When they're running, they should be wearing helmets and masks, but half of them just daredevil. And Tessa was a daredevil. She wasn't watching what she was doing. And, you know, you see some kids wearing wearing helmets, but, you know, here on the island, um, a lot of times, and we see a lot of tourists that that wear helmets, but we saw some tourists yesterday. We were driving out to uh, the Roche Harbor area, and... um, there was a gal, she was an adult, but still she was, her hair was, you know, she didn't have a helmet on. Um, so, you know, it's hit and miss here, um, no pun intending, but um, the, uh, the the reason she didn't see the car is because she was focused, one, on haranguing that dog of the tourists, if you recall, and also watching Mac and Tessa, and she was riding in circles. And of course, Bill Pauling was drunk um, and came around the corner, barreling down and hit her and ran over her, actually. So, um, so yeah, so she didn't see that because she was going in circles and focusing on, on, the, uh, on the two areas, the dog that she was causing to bark and bark and bark, and then the... Um, and then Mac and Tessa, who were over, uh, away from her, um, away mm-hmm. from her sight was like taken away from where the corner is. Mm-hmm. Um, she was right in front of the ferry lanes and bothering the dog and watching Mac and uh, Gemma um, talking, and they were being very secretive. So she was very interested in what they were doing. They were being very quiet, and they were, you know, cupping their hand over the joint. Gamma was, and then, you know, um, so, yeah, so it was very secretive, and she couldn't really tell what was going on, but she wanted to know, and but she wasn't allowed to, so, you know, there, there's all these things, so her, so little mm-hmm. uh, Tessa's attention wasn't on the car that hit her and ultimately killed her. It's not unusual, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and, uh, it can and, happen. And some, Oh, tell, tell me about it. I know. So, mm-hmm. how and why the 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 flashback? You had flashbacks too. How and why? I, that's, what lately, is, that's what I've been getting: flashbacks and timelines. 
Everybody's hitting me with flashbacks and timelines. Fresh facts? Flashbacks. In other oh, words, flashbacks. Things that happened in flashbacks. The, yeah, flashbacks. Oh, yeah. You know, um, again, there's this, you know, the, the, I read so much, and as you do, um, and I have not picked up a book in like, oh, my gosh, probably five six, seven years that has not had flashbacks and timelines yeah. and has gone back and forth. I love that kind of reading. I love it. And it's, and you know, you get all this, you know, these things, these, these tropes that are out there in the, in the publishing world. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, don't, God forbid you use second person. It's like, what are you talking about? Um, you know, there's all these people that say all these things and have all these rules. And that's just, you know, art doesn't have a rule. Art is not rulable, if that's a word. You know, so I look at it first as something that is my my readers will like and and also as an art, you know, it's, so it's got to be, it, there's got to be both. And, um, mm-hmm. I feel, and, uh, you know, of course, when you're looking at like genre fiction, like really uh, high commercial fiction, of mm-hmm. course, you're getting way away from, um, you know, I'm going to say this and probably get a bunch of <laughs> people mm-hmm. going, that's not true, but you're getting further away from the art of the, uh, mm-hmm. the craft and more toward the romp through the story. It's very plot-driven, very, you know, focused on, you know, the action and the activity. And it's not so much focused on character and character development. It's, they're, they're lesser character-oriented and more plot-oriented. So, um, and that's normal. That's, I'm not saying anything that's not known in the publishing industry. And when you go toward uh, character-driven novels, you're getting more of internal thinking and and uh, concepts about you know what has happened in the past and why it is this mm-hmm. way today because of the past. So so that's that's why. And I definitely needed to anchor people because I did choose to go back and forth in time as well as mm-hmm. um, back and forth through different characters. So I labeled all the um, characters um, scenes and all the. Um, you know, the di- characters' points of view and the time frame. Well, I'm glad you did because I've been reading an awful lot of books, seriously, in too many timelines. And I read one where I, I had a, the, the author changed the timeline in the middle of the paragraph on the middle of the page. And I'm going like, it's oh, a good no. thing I'm quick <laughs> because, yeah, I, got, I said, oh, my God. And then sometimes they just change it out of nowhere They'll change you. Somebody's talking to somebody, and all of a sudden, it's somebody else, and it drives me crazy. I mean, I read one book yeah. that was in five different timelines, and I go like, "Wait a minute! I needed to get my graphic wow. organizer for when I was teaching reading and saying, okay, let me get this done.'" Yeah. So. Yeah. When Macca's sentence and Tessa's funeral is done, I was had tears for that one. Uh, is done. We know that the facility that where she's going is not going to be great, and her best friend sold her out. And when she gets to this facility, this is what bothered me, and this is an issue that probably you went to bring up. The guards were horrible. They were abusive. How did they get away with that in juvie? And this is an issue of prison reform, and, and these are kids that did the wrong thing, and they're killing. They're ready to kill them. And she, was, she had a lot of abuse there, Mac. 
How did you create that? Right. Because this is probably all true. Well, unfortunately, it is true. And I don't yeah. know to what extent it's true, but it is true. And I um, yeah. also, I interviewed um, the uh, juvenile probation officer. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, and so she gave me the rundown about certain facilities. And I said, is there rape? And point blank. And she said, well, you know, we're trying really hard to mitigate that, but, you know, it's there. You know, it's like, and it's, you know, to hear that from somebody in that profession is just heartbreaking. But yeah. um, I needed it, too. You know, I needed it as a device for the story for for obvious reasons. If anybody reads the story, they'll see. Um, and with, you know, unfortunately with the guards as well, um, yeah. there's really one guard you know that uh is uh really awful um and then and then you know of course there's other um inmates other residents is what i yeah. chose to call them and uh that are abusive um and so yes unfortunately that's that's something that's that happens you know in in corrections it's it's more prevalent in adult facilities but it that it's prevalent at all is mind blowing you would think that they would be able to get a handle on that. But you, I guess you would need, like, uh, you know, how much staff would it take? You know, how mm-hmm. much money do you throw at that to get it to stop? So, you know, the, of course, there's a cost um, cost effect with that, I'm sure, that they have to look at. But, oh, my goodness, it's just heartbreaking to know that it's it's pretty prevalent. It's scary because sometimes when they come out, they're worse than they were when they went in because of exactly. what they went through. Well, exactly. You know, I, rep- I report for a very long time, and I reported child abuse and stuff like that. And I dealt with Child Protective Services, and I yeah. was not happy with the, not Not at all. And no. I, I had some of them actually that wanted to give the kids back to the parent, wanted to do a lot of stuff, and I threatened to go to the television media. If they did, oh, wow. and they backed off, wow. and they backed off, yeah, you, 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 it was outrageous. So, yeah. why does Max seem to be a target? And when her father comes, she doesn't complain. She just sort of toughens up and deals with it. Yeah, um, there's, uh, you know, the concept, of course, of um, she doesn't want to say. I mean, I don't know if I have been raped, so. Um, you don't want to say, in fact, when the YouTube, the Me Too movement came about, it was mm-hmm. the first time that I told my family was mm-hmm. then. And that was what, two years ago, two, three years ago. I am 62. I didn't want to tell anybody and I didn't tell anybody. Um, it was, you just are, you're, you feel like it's your fault. You feel, and yeah. you do. You just do, and you feel embarrassed. Um, mm-hmm. You feel like if I had done something different, which I feel like I still feel that way, that it could have been prevented. So there's all these things that go through your mind, and, of course, there are the reasons to keep quiet about it. And anybody that is a, an abusive person or an abuser, um, sexual or otherwise, holds a certain level of power over the person that they're abusing you know it's just true because 
it's just true and it's horrifying and it's sad and you know but um but it's it's a fact of life i mean we obviously because look at the me too movement so um so this goes to the heart of why she would keep quiet why she wouldn't say anything to especially to her father you know mm. how embarrassing you're not going to say oh by the way dad a girl raped me you know um that would be i can't even imagine that you know so um so yeah that's why it's very very it's a sensitive thing it's it's horrifying it's awful to uh experience and you don't want to say a word it's, it's you know i understand what you're saying I had a student, and this I was the dean, and the student came up to me and said she started to describe to me what her aunt did. And oh. I, I, I questioned her, and, you know, you don't know if they're lying or telling the truth. She was telling the truth, and I reported it. And her mother came in, and she was ready to, to kill me. I said, I will apologize. I said, I will apologize in front of everyone in this building if I'm wrong, but I'm not wrong. This is what happened to your daughter. She thought to tell me. I reported it to, to the guidance counselor who reported it to, to you know, Child Protective Services, and the mother called me to apologize and say I was right. She had no oh, idea. Oh, thank God. Oh, it, that's yeah, just heartbreaking. Yeah. I took a chance doing it, and I'm saying, what if I'm wrong? I said, you know what? And the kid wasn't lying. I could tell she wasn't lying. And it wasn't a yeah. student that I knew that well. And I'm saying, holy God, how can an aunt do this to her, to her own niece? Because she was babysitting her at the end of the day. And it wasn't like she was a little kid. She was 13 years old. So, yeah, people need to be more aware and need to listen. And then we have a character that I really liked, and she dies. Grandma Kiki dies, and she can come home <laughs> and realizes, I love this lady. She gave away her possessions and her cat. How could she do that? You don't give away her cat. <laughs> and how does she I react? Know. I mean, she, the poor girl, I, I would have smacked her mother in the head. I mean, really? Like, you're giving away <laughs> her cat. She, she just went away for a little bit of time, and it's like she's going to come home. Well, you know what I'm, I'm enjoying more than anything is that you were so involved in the story. Then that's what we hope. Everybody hopes. Yeah, me. I got, got really you, upset here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It, what upsets me is what I write about. You know what I mean? It's like the sensitive mm-hmm. things that, um, like the things that torture me, are um, <laughs> things mm-hmm. like what you're reading about and talking about. Those are the torture things um, in my. Uh, it, it, there's only a certain amount. I can't watch those shows. I can't watch yeah. those commercials where the, you know, where the dogs are being, you know, abused and, you know, they're showing all these abusive situations. I can't watch those. I flip the channel because I'm such a wimp. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same with the, you know, St. Jude's Hospital, you know, the kids, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I have a very low tolerance for certain painful things and so <laughs> I explore the I explore that pain you know in my stories um so so that's part of that um yeah that was mean wasn't it that she gave Uma gave away um Max cat um but uh the fact that grandma Kiki died and this is interesting because um my uh my stepdaughter's mom their uh, the kids her kids my stepdaughter's children our our grandchildren um, they call um, Ashley's mom Grandma Kiki, and I told her, 
I told her about I was, and her name isn't Kiki, but that's what they call mm-hmm. her. And so I said, you know, I'm going to be using <laughs> Grandma Kiki in the story because I love the way it comes off the tongue, Grandma Kiki. You know, it's, of course, a perfect kid Kiki. thing. I to, know. It's a great kid thing, isn't it? It's a kid um it's a kid name and it so of course yeah. it's going to be easy coming off the tongue so um so anyway that's that's where i got the the name grandma kiki but um yeah grandma kiki i loved that scene you know the the funeral scene was one of my favorite scenes to write because and and also you know i've been talking that this is like sad story it, there are parts that are sad but it's a very it i wrote it light so that it's not so heavy because I've writ, written like Storm Season it was very dark. It's psychological women's fiction uh, suspense, and it is it is darker. You know, there's a sense of uh, the lights being lowered on that one. Um, but this one, it's like it's it feels brighter. You know, of course, there's those two prologue scenes, of course, but mm-hmm. those but then it lightens up quite a bit. And then the story goes plunking along and there are some sad, darker moments, but um, for the most part, it's a, I thought a very light, um, not light read, of course not, but uh, uh, it was written with a lighter tone rather than the dark, um, sad, depressing tone of like storm season, which also, by the way, got um, an award. It got a, uh, it got, best um not best fiction that was that was uh dear moon but it got um it won the thriller category in and oh, nice. so that was yeah that was really nice and it was it was it, those awards you know it's like you know you get awards and it's really great and we want but we want readers right but the awards also add a level mm-hmm. of um satisfaction because then you go okay it worked, you know, so, you know, and then, you know, of course the readers comments are just the best. So, yeah. Before I forget on Thursday, Crooked Paths, Deb Pines takes a spotlight on the 14th. Alan Jacobson read death. Watch out for the Hawaiian punch. That's red. You don't put it in your oatmeal. Uh, you might wind up sick. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Um, one of my favorite authors in the whole universe, Brian Friedman, is back again with A Funeral for a Friend, Jonathan Stride. Brian Friedman, in case anybody doesn't know, is the new Robert Ludlum. Born Evolution is the first one in the series that he's doing, and he just took, up, took over the Jason Bourne series. It's fantastic. Um, the 22nd, All We Buried. On the 24th, Checked Out for Murder. And on October 1st, Emergency Powers. I got a whole bunch of people, and I'm really excited. And November 2nd, uh, the one and only that writes for Criminal Minds and Law and Order, D.P. Lyle. I am, like, so excited. So, wow. I get, get P.O., you never know. Though my show is, I just booked the show for January, so December's gone, everybody. I'm ready for the new year. I just booked one show for the new year, and everything for the rest of this year is gone. It's done. So, getting out finally, she gets out of jail, but she's defending herself against the CO, and Therese toughens her house. Who were the two COs that were out to get her? And who is Debbie, and how did she guide her to move forward? So, there was really one CO that, um, in my estimation, was out to get her, and the other one is Mm -hmm. uh, 
more of a uh, uh, of an ally. And um, but Debbie is the um, psychologist, and Debbie really helps her get um, get uh, you know th- past the pain and suffering of what she's experienced while she was in the uh, in juvenile detention. Mm. It's so sad with all of that. You know, then there was a man we have to talk about. His name is Pauling, and he had something to do with this. And how did her going to see him afterwards, how did it change them both? Because she literally, he, he literally, we well, won't say what he did, but he literally had a, she literally had to deal with him. And the two of them together had to sort of like forgive each other for what happened. Yeah, and you know that's a big theme in most of my stories. I think forgiveness is like the kindest, most yeah. gracious, and merciful thing that anybody can do for another person that has wronged them, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so that's where Pauline comes into play. And so there's that that sense of um, of her of Mac forgiving him for what has happened. Now, I would never have written that with. Uma or Ben, um, they knew what she was doing, but they weren't going to go and forgive him. But Mac, the main character, wanted to um, get to know him and understand him because he had been through some things too. He had suffered in his life as well, um, and he was on the he was on the wagon now. So he was um, he was trying to be a better person, and um, and of course she knew that, and she uh, and but she still. Um, I think, or, you know, while she was in juvie, she was already starting to forgive him. That That is ama- amazing. So I want to say, where am I here? You had a lot of issues. Trust, betrayals, lies, self-forgiveness, brought out in this novel. And how does Mac come to terms with everything? And then the biggest deception created by her mother. How does she deal with all of that at the end? Right. Well, you know, again, um, she doesn't want to. She's very upset with her mother. Um, and you don't see that there's um, too much uh, forgiveness for her mother, interestingly. Um, but, it, yeah. there again, there's that sense uh, in the final scene that those that those people, that family, is going to survive what they've been through. They may not survive it together. You know, it didn't say that, you know, the parents were going to get back together or not. Um, It's open as far as how they're going to proceed in life. But I feel like they moved past, you know, the horror of what happened to little Tessa. Um, They're not done grieving her there's you know how do you 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 stop grieving when you stop grieving um and uh and i don't believe that um they're done forgiving you know so i think that there is a lot of um forgiveness to come after the story Mm -hmm. ended um and so that's how i wanted to leave it i didn't want to just wrap it up in a neat little bow and say, there you go, everybody. It's a happily ever after ending. Because again, I, I, I kind of write sort of happily ever after endings. <laughs> well, what would happen? I mean, what would Max say she learned from her experiences? And are you going to take her forward 
to see where she goes next? Am, am I going to do another Dear Moon book? I This was intended to be a, a standalone. And no, I'm uh-huh. not going to be, because I want that. I want people, I know that I fell in love with them and I would love to write more. Yeah. I think of them uh, still, of course, because they're in my heart and in my soul and in my head, of course. But um, they uh, are... That, that that story is done. I'm working on another story that is also close uh-huh. to my heart, but it turned into something that I wasn't expecting. It turned into a um, psychological women's suspense, another one. It's not as dark, darkly mm-hmm. written, I should say, as Storm Season, but it is very creepy. <laughs> and I, that's the so only word I can... When, when, do, you, just, when do you think it's going to come out? I have no idea. I've got to. I'm just now finishing it. I got to a point where it feels like it's the um, it's the end. But when I go back and start editing, which is you know I have like four different phases of editing, it grows the story mm-hmm. pretty well. Um, so um, I have no idea. And then you know I've got to uh, get it to the agent and and talk to you know see what they think and. All of that, so you know, it's it's probably you know two years or so out for publishing, but um, yeah. Well, that one's fun. Look, this is this new topic about drugs and opiate and stuff like that is very apparent, very current. Most a lot of the books I've been getting are exactly that. Uh, most yeah. of them are, and this is something that schools, if they have, if anybody ever gets back into a real school. Um, besides online, this is something that kids need to, parents need to be aware of. Um, as an educator, I would know if there was a child that was normally outspoken, nobody was ever disrespectful, nobody ever got in trouble with me because it was just not a good thing to do. They just didn't. It was like right. stay on her good side because she's fun. And <laughs> the, the positives were good. The negatives, well, you didn't want to find out. Um, if a student, kid, child was like, you know, outgoing or whatever and got too quiet I got worried if a child yeah. was quiet and got too outgoing I worried and most of the time I was right so teens can learn and parents need to be more aware of what their children are doing so before we end what is the significance of the title well um, my husband and I were actually taking a walk one night and this is when the whole story just kind of fell into my brain um, we were coming back. It was an evening walk, which we don't typically take. It was an evening walk, and the moon just, boom, came up over this huge stand of trees along this road that is right in front of the Olympic um, Peninsula and the and the Sound, the straits there. Um, it's just gorgeous. And uh, But the, it just came up, and it was still, it, it wasn't dark yet. So it was this big, fat, cheesy ball. And I could see, you can see the craters and everything, and that's why we think we can see a man in the moon. But it didn't look like a man in the moon to me. It looked like a a buck with antlers. And I went, oh, my God, look, to my husband, Bob. And I said, doesn't that look like a deer in the moon? And he started to laugh because I love deer. In fact, I've got a whole herd outside that are waiting for me to shut up and get out and feed them. But um, they, uh, but that's where it came from. And I said, and then, 
and then Tessa started talking right then and there, and she said to Mac, these, these two little girls appeared, and she said to Mac, do you think the deer is hungry? And so, um, so that's where that comes from, how the deer moon hungers. Do you like that title? Yeah, the title. Yeah, the title was different, but it you know, intrigued me. I'm saying, like, how did she come up with that title? It's like you. It's different, really different. Yeah. So yeah. Before, where can everybody find out more about you and your work and all the other things that you've written? They can find me at susanwingate.com, and that's W-I-N-G-A-T-E, so there's no D in Wingate. Um, susanwingate.com, and you can find me on all the social sites, and you can find all my books on um, you know, all the major online book distributors as well as uh, in brick-and-mortar bookstores. And if you can't get out to a bookstore yet, you can go to indiebound.org and order from your favorite bookstore, and I highly suggest that, you know, your paperbacks. Well, I'm going to send you the link to the show. I'm also going to Thank send you. it to, uh, to have this right to David Johnson. He was yes. the one that emailed me and asked me to read your book. He also asked me to read Hunting Men, and that's author's coming on in October. And I think he's sending me something else out of nowhere. I don't know how he found me. I really don't. And that's okay because I'm getting found by a lot of people. And that's awesome. Which is, that's which, awesome. Which it, yeah, which is really great, yeah. Um, for those of you that want to know what to read, read Susan Windig's book. I just finished uh, Village of the Lost Girls, which is really uh, odd. It's translated into English. It's really interesting. Uh, of course, Brian Friedman, uh, Born Evolution, A Red Death by um, Alan Jacobson, and anything by John Land, the, uh, the Caitlin Strong series is fantastic. I can go on forever. I get a whole bunch of good ones. And I just finished, um, it was one of her best books, Catherine Coulter, Deadlock. Excellent. Oh, yeah. One of the the better ones, but just read Susan Wingate's book because it's really good. And I think that teens should read this, and it's too bad that there's no schools, that you can't donate these to some libraries or something, because I think people need to read it and learn more about uh, teenagers and what could happen and and being more aware. But thank you so much. This has been fun. Everybody, thank you. It's beautiful. Thank I you hope it's so beautiful much. out where you are. It's gorgeous here. It's the first time all week long that the sun is shining, and it's it says it's 72, but it's really not. It feels like 62. It's beautiful. Everybody have a great day. Stay safe, everyone, and wear your mask. And bye. Thank you, friends.